Hello, and welcome back to Black Lives Texas. I'm Tracy Lowe. And I'm Ricardo Lowe. Today's final episode of our series on COVID and education in Austin will discuss how gaps in tech access underscore inequities that many students face across the city. But issues such as these existed well before the pandemic. The divide between East and West Austin was set in place nearly a century ago and contributed to many of the inequities we see in the city today. To give a bit of context for today's episode, we're going to provide a brief overview of some of Austin's history. So in the late 1800s and early 1900s, Black and Hispanic households were scattered across the city. Major pockets of these populations included the Clarksville neighborhood and what is now known as downtown, Mueller, the UT campus, and I-35. In 1928, the city hired outside consultants Coke and Fowler, who proposed to create a Negro district where all African-Americans were moved to one area to save money and segregate the races. Black people could only access schools and public services in this area. The aim was to keep these populations out of sight and out of mind. They also allowed for zoning laws, which resulted in environmentally toxic industries built in those same areas. What came next were policies like redlining, which allowed for racial discrimination and lending practices and denied mortgages to black people who wanted to buy houses in more desirable neighborhoods. And then there's the construction of I-35. An article from the Austin American Statesman sums it up pretty well. While the influx of Hispanic people into Texas and Austin during the second half of the 20th century led to a much greater dispersal of their population throughout the area, the effects of these segregationist policies are still visible today. The vast majority of Austin's black and Hispanic population remains east of I-35. But Austin's divisions run deeper than where its residents live. The policies that spawned the geographic divide set the stage for a sharp economic divide as well. Redlining not only restricted black and Hispanic families from building household wealth, but also denied them the compound interest that future generations could derive from such affluence. Their exclusion from that wealth has calcified through an increasingly complex mix of social dynamics, subtle and unintentional forms of discrimination, disadvantaged schools, higher crime rates, passive public policies that maintain the status quo. And we still see repercussions of these systems today, from how schools are funded via property tax, which schools get selected for closures, and the over-policing in Austin's Eastern Crescent. Now, I know that was a lot of information we gave, and it may have seemed like a mini recitation, but it's important to understand as we talk about inequities in technology and internet access during covid Online learning sounds like the next logical step to continue educating students in light of the pandemic. But what do you do when your home or apartment doesn't have internet access or the broadband speeds are slower? A lot of my millennial generation probably remembers the slow dial-up internet where you tied up the phone lines just to use AOL chat. I mean, it's kind of like what Nelly had during his versus battle on Instagram, but I digress. Now imagine being a teenager trying to learn in today's fast-paced times with comparable internet access. Or what if you have more than one student in the household, but only one device available? What happens then? For the past few months, Austin ISD has been looking to find a solution. 
To check in on what's happening, we're going to talk again to Dr. Hawley, Chief Equity Officer, about what the district has been trying to accomplish. You know, some some parents having to get packets because they might not have access to um, internet, I would assume, right? Is that correct? Right. right. You know, and I'm just thinking, you know, we know about the historical, you know, divide in the city of Austin. You know, um, we know that majority of black and Hispanic students in the population live east of the interstate and then the majority of the white population lives on the other half. So I'm wondering how that residential segregation trickles into online learning. Um, um, I assume that you're seeing a lot of this prevalence happening in East Austin. Is that correct? It's primarily East Austin. I actually talked with our tech folks yesterday about this. And um, that's primarily the area where we see the disparities. Of course, that was pre-COVID. There were disparities. So I often say that uh, disasters exacerbate and magnify whatever was going on. I call it systemic pre-existing conditions. Um, and so we are seeing those students that are in East Austin that are under, were under-resourced. And, and, those, and those, were, uh, those students and families were also our priority when we started the Chromebook distribution. But we also have students that are at Austin High and other areas of the city uh, where we we have students that are low income that are in other areas uh, in West Austin as well. So sometimes people think, well, if you just do this in East Austin, you'll get all of our students who are low income, and that's that's not necessarily so, depending on the school, um, because we have probably the higher percentage of low income high school students at East Austin, uh, not East Austin, at Austin High but we don't often think of Austin High as, as the space where some of our, uh, many of our low-income students, uh, parents have found a way to get them into that space. Uh, so there's, uh, we've got poverty and we've got lack of devices everywhere, but it is certainly concentrated in East Austin. And that was our, our highest priority at the beginning of the distribution. And with hotspots as well, I think you all have probably seen, and we've been in national news for the hotspots on our on our buses, deploying over 100 buses um, to uh, public housing and apartment complexes so that, that, because it does you no good to have a device and you don't have any internet connection. And so we're providing that from eight to two um, on weekdays and uh, just focusing uh, on East Austin, but not uh, we've gone to West Austin for sure with devices, but East Austin has been a priority. All right. So in terms of thinking about that Chromebook distribution and the hotspots, was there a specific way that students by grade level were prioritized? And I also want to talk about special education students specifically meeting their needs through resources or technology or work packets. How is that population being served at the moment? Yeah, so we we uh, we already had a lot of, uh, and I don't have the the numbers. I should have the numbers here. Um, we were already involved with a grant with Verizon. So uh, many of our middle school, not all, but uh, definitely all of our high schoolers had uh, Chromebooks and devices, and most of our middle schools had Chromebooks and devices before this because of our involvement with Verizon. 
we did have some high, uh, some middle schools that weren't involved with that grant, but we we then prioritized the middle schools. And then right now we're looking at um, making sure grades three through 12 um, have devices and then looking at what's gonna happen with our pre-K folks. So there's a lot of discussion about the pre-K students, but wanted to, uh, with regard to special education, the special education team right now is, is working on, uh, some people may or may not know this, but there's a lot of, uh, there are a lot of legalities surrounding special education and how it is to be delivered and the way and, and who delivers it. And so a lot of work is going in, not just at AISD, but across the state, across the nation, quite frankly. Um, the conversations are being had about how to accommodate the needs of students with the limitations that we, we now have. And some of the, uh, our students, depending on their needs, have received packets. Um, some have Chromebooks. Special education, um, we have uh, well over 1,200 of our students who are uh, special education who have received Chromebooks. So again, they were high priority on the list for getting devices. And we wanted to make sure people understood these devices aren't just about delivering instruction, but for many of our parents, this device is about connectivity to what's going on in the district, uh, access to information. And so, so that prioritization of low-income students and students who are in special education uh, in particular was high on the list. But the work that's being done because each student has individualized needs. So there's not one blanket way we can roll out and say, you know, this is how we're addressing the needs of every student who accesses special education. And so that's taking a lot of deep work uh, with our team right now. And we'll learn more about it. Uh, I, I think this week and next week, we're gonna learn more about some of uh, some examples of specific things that are being done. You know, it, it's, it's so pertinent because, you know, and not to, to put the onus on me or anything, but you know, I, I'm a parent and I also have a son who, who is special needs and I recognize the challenges it is to, to work and also make sure that he's getting the individual attention that he needs because he, he needs a, a speech therapist and he also needs to participate in some of the other things um, that come with that. So I, I can imagine uh, how difficult that is. Um, I, I want you, you touched a little bit about Verizon. I know Verizon has, has been accommodating the district for uh, a while now. I think there's other private corporations that are also involved. I think Khajiit and T-Mobile as well. Can you talk yes. about the relationship between AISD and, and, and those companies? Yeah, yeah. We were working with Khajiit before this started to uh, put hotspots on buses. So before coronavirus, um, but what that caused us to do was to uh, accelerate and expand the work that we were doing with Khajiit. We also, um, uh, working with Austin Freenet, uh, our uh, innovation and development office has been working with, uh, in concert with IT, with uh, I, the list is over 140 right now of providers, uh, not just in tech, but in all areas. So and with the city of Austin. So that was, you know, one of our first connections uh, with the city of Austin. So all of this, um, getting these Chromebooks distributed couldn't, couldn't, wouldn't even be possible without collaborations with uh, all of the external entities, donors, companies, um, 
just service providers from everywhere. Um, so it's taken internal collaboration with groups that have never worked together before, uh, transportation, child nutrition, and IT. That's a combination that's never worked together, right? But you know, back to your question about us working with Austin Freenet has been absolutely awesome in terms of helping us distribute. We've gotten donations from various companies. One of the um, grassroots organizers for us is from Oracle. She convenes meetings on Helica Orsco, um, convenes those morning meetings. And that's where my office finds out about the tech needs. And we sometimes um, connect with our IT folks to let them know uh, what the grassroots organizations are finding. And so uh, our office acts as a connector um, but those companies have have shown up in big ways to support mm -hmm. the hotspots. We still don't have as many hotspots as we need yet, but we're continuing to be creative uh, with Kajit and Austin Freenet and uh, Verizon and others to to solve problems because we've got immigrant families right now. We don't have uh, the Chromebooks in the languages that. Um, that all of our families need uh, over 200 languages are spoken in the district and so some of the challenges that we're facing in in some of our com some of the companies that you mentioned ricky they're helping us solve some of those with software we have a software that we use uh, called living tree that helps with mm -hmm. translation and so the more the deeper we go into this work the more we need the support of the community and and from companies, so it's not just you know companies, but um, those grassroots organizations have been phenomenal, and you know United Way, um, all of the standard groups that have shown up as well. I did want to mention you all said this, and this is kind of a disconnect, but um, we were talking about mental health earlier, and so we've got uh, opportunities for telehealth uh, that we we again partnering with folks in the city and in the county. Um, we're, we're doing the telemedicine and the telehealth. Uh, those connections are happening in, around the district too to support with mental health. We asked Dr. Hawley about what could happen if these organizations or private companies are not there to continue to support these programs in the long run. She explained that those relationships are typically built via the board of trustees and their superintendent. However, Austin ISD is currently trying to find a new superintendent after Dr. Paul Cruz announced his resignation in February. We'll post a link in the show notes to the AISD page with more information on their proposed hiring process. As of today, they have set a goal of filling the position by August 17th. Our Office of Innovation and Development, that is their primary uh, that, that's their core business is to maintain and sustain those relationships. And so when this whole thing kicked off, our innovation and development office went into action um, to contact uh, the donors that we have that support us. And, uh, you know, they developed the, uh, the crisis fund, um, the Corona crisis fund. And so the hope is we will continue and maintain those relationships uh, because we're, we're starting to see different needs emerge as we move further into this. So yeah, uh, Ricky, that would, you know, that would be a question uh, definitely because like I said, our board, our superintendent and our development office, they have been uh, 
they've been building these relationships. We do have a lot of new donors that have shown mm -hmm. up, but we had a lot of pre-existing relationships and connections with companies that made, uh, and, the, and the crisis fund has uh, collected over 800 and some thousand dollars to date. Um, to help wow. support with meals, uh, technology, uh, telehealth, uh, just our hope is we can maintain and sustain these re uh, these new relationships and continue to strengthen the older ones for sure. So AISD is working with businesses and organizations to get technology out to parents and moving buses around with Wi-Fi hotspots to help fill in the gaps where they can. But is it enough? How are people on the ground feeling about how this is working or not working? Let's hear from Mercedes Perry from Austin's Urban League. We know that there's a very evident racial divide in terms of who has access to things and who doesn't. A lot of the Eastern Crescent doesn't have access to things like, you know, just access to the resources they need to close, like you said, that learning gap or, or achieve those learning goals. And so as a parent support specialist, even before COVID happened, thinking about the digital divide in terms of students having access to computers at home and internet, that's now been raised to a super level in terms of not having access. If you feel at all that the efforts that AISD is doing in terms of delivering Chromebooks, delivering hotspots, how do you think they're addressing the digital divide? And is there more that you think could be done in terms of those that assistance? The digital divide, um, I think they're doing the best they can. I mean, getting out the Chromebooks, getting out the hotspots, you know, doing whatever you can um, to try to help people have tech access. Um, I think one of the big biggest issues that I've noticed and run into is that, like, one Chromebook ain't enough for, for a family of, that has more than one child. So, <laughs> and you want everybody to log in and do work all day. So, like, okay, but okay. Um, so, uh, so that's been... Uh, that's been that. And then, too, just knowing the report y'all put out, just knowing that, like, all a lot of our black and brown kids aren't in AISD. They're at charter schools. They're at small charter schools at that. And they're doing better at making sure their kids got digital access, period, even if they school sucks. I mean, sorry, I don't mean it like that, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. <laughs> even if they have unregulated educational environment, they <laughs> are still making sure that they provide digital, everybody within the first week that is in a kip or idea or, or something like that in our household had a tech device, you know, um, to work on an individual one, um, as opposed to our our AISD ones. So my home, my parents in my house went and bought laptops because they have the privilege to do that. So it was, there wouldn't have been enough. They got six kids in total. Uh, you send me one home, one, you know, laptop, they about to fight over that laptop, period. And so um, it set some families up for disaster. Now I got one laptop, I got three kids, everybody arguing, I can't afford to go buy no laptops. This the only laptop. So... Mm -hmm. So nobody uses the laptop. Yeah. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and so it's that's what's happening <laughs> in some houses. <laughs> I'm telling you. And then, you know, even the fact that if even if you do get the laptop, you're still struggling with the fact that you might not have internet. 
So, yeah. like, so like you might not even be able to go mm-hmm. on the laptop to do much of anything. I mean, I know AISD did, um, they sent out buses with Wi-Fi, and I thought that was uh, that was pretty. Well, let me ask you this. When, when they did that, do, do you have any knowledge of, of how impactful that was for, for the black community over there in East Austin? Because from what I heard, a lot of that was deployed around that area. Can you speak to that? I really have no idea how like impactful that might have been. I haven't heard of anybody that or seen anybody that was just rolling up on them buses and wanted to sit in the parking lot and use Wi Fi. <laughs> yeah. And that yeah. speaks to like the range of it. Like we heard that the buses were out, but in terms of like how far that internet access actually that output, I don't know the technical terms, but how far it was going, where they were putting them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I honestly, if I'm gonna be frank. I disengaged from from that conversation um, because I, you know, like like I said, I mean, in my day job today, I have I got to work too. I got things to manage and things, and that was just something that I was like, you know, that is so out of my out of my lane, and I completely disagree with that that um, tactic. But you got to do something, you know. So I just kind of stepped out of that conversation. Um, I personally wouldn't be driving up to sit next to a bus so my kids could do their homework. Mm-hmm. So, period. I don't care. So, <laughs> if I'm going to just have the real life, real life, a real life parent perspective, no. What am I look like sitting up, driving to sit by a bus so my kids could do homework? Because right. I don't have access. And if I don't have internet, do I actually have time to go sit by the bus so my kids could do homework? Do I have transportation to go sit by the bus so my kids could do homework? If I do, do I want to sit in a car with maybe three different age ranges of children, you know, from kinder to to 12th grade so that they can have, it's just, they're asking families to do a lot, you know, a lot and with having at no point in, no, no training, no prepping, like you want me to come into Google Classroom well, as a teacher, you know, the independent teacher, you know, you ain't been using your Google Classroom all year. Now mm-hmm. you, you're being forced to use it, and you're just setting it up, and the parents are just having to try to figure it out. And it works for K through 5, but in a more, you know, succinct way, because it's a little easier and slower pace. But once some kids is middle school, every got five, six, seven, eight classes, you know, like, you want me to... I'm trying to dig around here all through the canvas and the book book and the da 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 And you want me to do that for all my kids if I got more than one? Because online learning is a type of learning style. Like, you have the child has to have had some type of self-agency and growth mindset instilled in them in order to participate and engage in that online learning platform. And if and if that isn't the case, then they need to have somebody that's there to coach them and keep them engaged in the online learning platform. Period. That's the way it's the way learning works. Even adult learners, nobody learns that way. And so it, it, if you don't have the self-agency to get through it, it's like pointless. School should have, if you was going to close, we should have closed it. Let's start next year. Give everybody they, they A's, they B's. Y'all already canceled the start test anyway. Take the stress off everybody's back. 
Let the teachers check in with their kids when they can because they got kids and figure out how you're going to roll out your fall and, and your your fall semester effectively. Because mm-hmm. none of us have ever been in this. I just feel like also humans got to learn how to give ourselves grace. Like, this is a disaster. Stop mm-hmm. trying to figure it out. Like, so fast. You can't. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's To me, you said something that is really interesting too because I don't think I've heard anybody say this and I'm piecing things that you've said together but pretty much I mean they haven't really perfected face-to-face learning for black children and now they're expecting online learning to be like an easy process I mean there's still a struggle to make learning at the face-to-face classroom level something right so I mean that, that's that's interesting to me and I think it's a it's an important part of the conversation because if the district can deploy buses with Wi-Fi and all these different things, um, there's a whole bunch of other things that need to be deployed. Like you said, the the literacy, to, the, the ability to provide capability for those parents to be able to teach their children, things like that. I thought I just wanted to make mention that I was understanding you right. But I, that, that, to me, that's a brilliant point. And the um, parent engagement office can't focus on that right now. They're not focusing on giving parent support specialists the tools and empowering point support specialists with the tools to teach families that. You know, Mm -hmm. it'll be a workshop here, there, and there, and the other. But otherwise, parent support specialists are wholehearted, wholesome individuals who just go above and beyond and get the job done. That You know, they're not given the real or challenged, honestly, to think in that way, to, to make sure... That like you're you're having these types of conversations. They have taken and owned the job of crisis managers, and it hasn't changed. You know, like you this shift in conversation towards learning and and effective learning and teaching a, a parent how to teach. It's gone away. At one point, they were doing love and logic and doing those types of workshops, but you know conscious discipline there's always a type of workshop that comes along but it's never the focal point it's never the focus you're really as as a parent support specialist you're focused on making sure that families stay out of crisis it seems like that's literally it so (laughs) this pandemic just highlights what's already been a reality for many students particularly those of color They don't have the same technology at home. Many don't even have internet access. And when you can't go to a school or to a library, what can you do to continue learning? What if you're not in one of the apartment complexes with the remote Wi-Fi on buses nearby? And what is it going to look like if schools supposedly open in the fall, as Texas Governor Abbott has suggested? What is it going to look like realistically? For that, we wanted to hear what the city might be trying to put in place. Let's jump back in with Dr. Kazike Prince from the mayoral office. Right, you know, I was just about to ask you about that. So you were talking about partnering with these uh, institutions and making sure that people are getting the access they need during this time, especially as it relates to this digital divide, right? And um you were saying that some of these communities have been invisible for a while. Can you speak a little bit about 
where that acts where those resources need to be deployed the most at and why yeah when you when you look at how the covid is impacting our city you see throughout uh eastern what we call the eastern crescent which is basically north part of the county all the way down through eastern part of the county down to the south uh, like dove springs uh parts of pflugerville um at least that's that's still in the county um, and what you see are, are, are that those impact those communities are being impacted negatively. And so the way that we've been trying to deal with the, the digital divide is that we've um, been working in partnership with uh, Austin Freenet and Rectify. And Rectify basically p- provides low cost or free computers for some of our communities. And this isn't and just to be clear, this isn't partnership with our school districts because again, they're the ones who have direct communication and, and access to a lot of the young people and families that we're talking about. But I think the role the city has played up to this point was to say, hey, here, if, you're, if you're a family that doesn't have a computer, here are some resources of folks who might be able to get access to it. So it's connecting Rectify with different principals. It's the school district working in collaboration with their, their principals and their leadership across the city to make sure we're getting computers, we're, we're making requests for uh, what kind of computers were needed. Because the school district provided computers, if I remember correctly, to, um, uh, I think, all the way down to third graders. But if you're under third grade, you didn't necessarily have as many computers. And so you have certain uh, community members who have been collaborating. In particular, there's a, a community group called the uh, Community Resource Trust ATX Group. And what they've been doing is the same kind of work that I'm uh, kind of describing, where they're, they're working with different partners across the city to figure out where the need is, who needs the computers, uh, because the truth of the matter is, a lot of our families didn't have access to these things. They were using the city libraries. And so with the city libraries closed, uh, it really makes it hard for a lot of folks to access. I mean, we're talking about kids going to school. Well, how are you going to go to school if you don't have Internet? How are you going to go to school if you don't have uh, a computer? Um, and so what we've been trying to do is to, to fill that gap by providing the kind of resources in collaboration with different partners. And the thing I should mention here is that um, early on, Spectrum was one of the, uh, the city, uh, uh, well, the city didn't really coordinate, but Spectrum decided to go out and actually provide free Internet services for folks. Uh, what you saw with some of the other uh, providers like AT&T and, and Grande was to provide a reduced cost Internet access. Um, because, again, the, the challenge is how do you provide uh, resources or internet, particularly internet resources to community. And I should add one more thing. Uh, the school district has been a real strong champion providing internet because what they've done in different parts of the community is put buses in, in, in prime locations to provide free internet access as well. And so we're trying to be creative, but I, I, I don't think that means we've covered the entire city. I just think that we're trying to be as creative as possible to see you know, where the need is, how do we provide that need? How, um, how do you get people to those locations? Because one of the things we've heard has been a challenge is transportation. Um, and so we're, we're trying to be as creative as possible. But the good thing is that uh, people are talking with one another. And so I think that really helps to make sure that there's that kind of coordination of effort. The pandemic has city officials, school leaders, and even state education leaders all thinking about what we can learn and what can be done to possibly make education more equitable. As we explained at the top of the episode, the system was never made for black and brown students to succeed. Whole neighborhoods have been left out of the conversation about what education should and could look like in the future. And this pandemic is not over. 
As of our recording in June, the number of people getting diagnosed with COVID in Texas is still rising. Businesses are opening and people are still questioning the use of masks. And even more civil unrest has come to the forefront given the continued problem of police brutality. So what can we learn from the situation? And is there a moment of optimism that can be gleaned? Alejandro Delgado from the Texas Education Agency thinks there are things we can learn right now that can be applied to the future. How do you think this pandemic will change the landscape of Texas public education for the better? Yeah, I, I want to answer that one because I think this has forced us, and, and really it's a matter of like, are we going to take advantage of the opportunity to think about, you know, we talk a lot about serving all kids and individual students, but like that's very hard to do in a, what we call like a synchronous environment uh, where, where, you know, like all kids have to be taught the same standard at relatively the same time. You know, teachers will have to differentiate in the classroom, but that's really hard to do. And I think what this has forced us to to, to consider and to potentially build upon is like what we, what we call asynchronous learning, right? Like, what does it look like for a kid to be, to go into school different days of the week, right? Because of the considerations of COVID, uh, but that they're getting exactly what they need. Right. Because it's being tracked by some online program or, you know, teachers have a little bit more flexibility during the school day because maybe on Tuesdays and Thursdays they're working from home. Um, There is. And, you know, how do we become competency based? Uh, So like, you know, your master, your kids are mastering comp by competency, not just by standard. Uh, There's just there is a, a, a huge window of opportunity here to to be able to serve you know, using, you know, we're now starting to, we're forced to learn technology, right? Um, more so than usual, you know, how do we leverage technology to reach all kids at their levels at in real time? That's very hard to do in a traditional environment. And, you know, I, I was a teacher, I don't know if you guys were, but like, it's hard, it's hard to differentiate. And, and I think this has really forced us to think about like a radically different way of delivering instruction um, that if we use the technology um, you know, in time more appropriately, we could potentially better serve kids, um, uh, especially black and brown kids. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a big lift and it's a big request and it's a whole like paradigm shift in terms of how you think about education. But that's possibly one of the positive things is this has been a big forcing function to get out of our like, I mean, think about Zoom. I had my, my aunt's a teacher down in the valley. And, and she, she never knew how to use Zoom or online tools before all this. Now she's like proficient to like really good. And she's like, man, I'm doing so much more now with my kids. Um, I think the big challenge with that is going to be like, how do we maintain the, 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 the student relationships? I mean, we, we know that student relationships matter so much. And, you know, that's the big challenge with this kind of this new future or this new um this new reality uh, that we have, but 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 I I'm you know I'm hopeful that we can that you know as a, as a collective like public education can figure it out. What can our new future look like? Although there are no clear answers at the moment, we wanted to leave you with the opportunity to take action. If you are able, we highly recommend getting involved in this conversation. This can be smaller actions like donating to food banks or writing emails to city council and the school board about what you want the future to look like. To make sure you also vote in local elections, as these are the folks who make the decisions that directly impact our communities. 
Other options could be signing up to speak at a digital or other city council and school board meetings, defining grassroots organizations that are working to push forward policies you believe in. Just find a way to get involved. Just listening to this podcast and sharing it with a friend is another way to get involved and move our community towards change. Start the conversations now, as it seems for once, people might be listening. And that's it for this series. Do you have thoughts or topics you want us to cover in future episodes? Email BlackLivesTexasPodcast at gmail.com. Black Lives Texas is a podcast by the Institute for Urban Policy Research and Analysis at UT Austin. It's hosted by me, Ricardo Lowe, and Tracy Lowe, and produced and edited by Mariah Gossett with music by Upper Reality. Thank you for listening, and if you can please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps other people find the show, and we need those reviews and ratings and all that. Until next time, this is Ricardo signing off. Hasta la próxima semana. And holla.